Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the special edition of the Four Scenes Fire American Soccer Show, the 2021 MLS Cup playoffs. In the opening round, it is all over but the shouting as we have our six winners advancing to face, of course, not only against themselves, but we have an opponent for the New England Revolution in the Eastern Conference, and we now have an opponent uh, for the Colorado Rapids in the Western Conference. It was an amazing amount of action, and granted, there were moments where maybe at times it wasn't that great, but when it came down to the nitty-gritty, we got ourselves a bunch of really good, solid playoff games that I think all of us are going to be excited to, to uh, discuss about, and you know what? Uh, trying to get you uh, all the guests possible to uh, discuss, but unfortunately, just could not get everyone to go, but don't worry. Uh, we're going to have ourselves some fun, and we're going to have ourselves a great time here to talk about it, as I'll be here to give you all the information and the blow-by-blow of what's been going on over the uh, the past weekend, including uh, what happened last night in Nissan Stadium in downtown Nashville, as well as Lumen Field in downtown Seattle. And boy, was that an amazing match. But, you know, I I have to say this, and, you know, I understand what MLS is trying to do uh, when it comes to the Thanksgiving Day traditions uh, that we have here, uh, you know, uh, during the weekend, the four-day break, of course. We all know what's going to happen with the National Football League. We're going to have the typical uh, first afternoon game of course, you know, with the Green Bay, excuse me, the, the Detroit Lions hosting the first of two, or should I say actually the first of three Thanksgiving Day games. And then, of course, they uh, head on down to Dallas, from Detroit to Dallas, where the Cowboys are hosting uh, the next game on Thanksgiving Day. And then you're going to have the third one, which is basically a toss-up, depending on Uh, who the opponents are going to be from the NFL. And then, of course, on Friday afternoon in the round 1 o'clock, it's going to be the National Hockey League that's going to have the New York Rangers on the road at the Boston Bruins. And then, of course, when you get to Thanksgiving, excuse me, the Christmas, we're not going to have to worry about the Christmas games, of course. But, you know, uh, Christmas, usually the NBA has uh, that covered with at least a bunch of games all day long, uh, both on you know the ESPN channels as well as ABC. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. But MLS trying to do the Thanksgiving tradition for soccer as well, which will be on Thursday afternoon, 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 2.30 Central, because the Colorado Rapids, they're going to host their match uh, in the uh, Western Conference semis. 
and I believe that's going to be against the Portland Timbers, and we'll talk about that Timbers playoff game later on in the show today. But, you know, I, I have to say this, <clears throat> and I'm not trying to poo-poo, nor am I trying to lower the expectations of that playoff game, which is very important. It's still very important to have these playoff games. And for MLS to try and stretch out these playoff games across the board, you know, for the next round, and then, of course, we will get to the weekend, to the conference finals, and then the final, of course, the weekend after that. Um, Sometimes I, I have this feeling that I think MLS is just missing the boat at times on this. And don't get me wrong, I think it's wonderful that they're trying to join in on the holiday fun when it comes to the professional sports side of things. But when you have these types of traditions that have been there for a longer period of time with the National Football League and the National Hockey League, I, and, of course, it will be also college football and college basketball. Um, I don't know if MLS is going to be successful with this. And to be fair, I would think that I would have had it on Friday night, to be honest with you. I think having this game uh, on a Friday night would have been a lot better, makes much more sense to have it on a day where you don't have to over-worry about these things, and you can still have it at 4.30 because most of the kids are home from school anyway. Most of the kids are spending uh, their four-day Thanksgiving break at home, and, of course, you can have that playoff game on a Friday night and head on over, and you'll have a solid audience watching what is happening And it's just going to be a fun time if you're going to allow these games to be played at a better day. So I'm not against this idea, what MLS is trying to do. I think it's a very good idea. My question is, I worry about, is it sustainable? Because the NFL has basically had a gigantic stranglehold on Thursday, Thanksgiving Thursday, all day, all night, after, of course, uh, you have the turkey and the stuffing and the trimmings and all that fun stuff, the green bean casseroles and all that fun stuff going for you. Um, And I'm not, like I said, I'm not against it, but I don't know if it's going to work. And I really believe that it might have a bit of an issue. We'll have to wait and see what's going to happen. And like I said, I'm not here to poo-poo it. I'm not here to go against it. I'm not here to say that it's a terrible idea. Give it a chance. That's all I'm saying. Go ahead and give it a fair shot. Because if this does work for the playoffs, then we got ourselves something big going on here. Now, obviously, for next season, 
We don't have to worry about this because the World Cup will be going on during that time over in Qatar, and this won't be interfering during the day. It's all going to be done live at the, you know, the early hours. Think back to 2002 when the World Cup was shared by both South Korea and Japan. And I can definitely tell you, going back to those days, working for the Phoenix Communications Group, and of course they were contracted at that time with NBC News to get the sports highlights sent, not just the script, uh, also the video highlights. We would send it from South Hackensack, New Jersey, satellite straight to their big hub in Charlotte, and then Charlotte would send the signal all across the nation to every NBC affiliate in the United States. And, of course, we would also send it uh, to other uh, companies as well, like CBS at that time. So, you know, there is, you know, a fun time that I remember. Of course, you're in the viewing room, and uh, for five days out of the week, and, of course, two days I was home, uh, able to watch the games whenever I was able to, if I was, you know, because or probably just sleeping and then I'll just you know record the games and and then at the time there was no DVRs of course you had to do the VHS the video home system tapes and you know record the record the games on the timers and stuff but still though it was a lot of fun and you know I had the place to myself I didn't have to worry about anyone bothering me at the time um, I was the only uh, guy who liked soccer. There were a couple other people who liked soccer, you know, not as much. But, I mean, you know, I, I, I enjoyed watching every single game, and like I always do. Of course, I, I wouldn't be doing this show if I, if, you know, if I wasn't doing it. But to tell you the truth, it, it's just amazing to watch all these World Cup games being played in both countries in South Korea or as they call it, Korea Republic, and then, of course, Japan. And it was fun to see the U.S. on the South Korea side of the groups uh, and that bracket. And, you know, that was an amazing run that they had. Unfortunately, uh, we'll never know if the United States would have scored a goal against the Germans. We'll never know if... Our boys at that time was going to get a penalty kick uh, attempt because that's because, you know, we'll always talk about the handball that wasn't called. The Scottish referee and Hugh Dallas. Who, you know, basically ignoring the pleas of Landon Donovan. Of Clint Mathis, Brian McBride, Claudio Reyna. And Brad Friedel, I mean, obviously Brad Friedel's in the goal. He can't really do anything about it. But then, of course, Bruce Arena. Because that was a clear handball off of Torsten Frings. That was a clear handball. And the only reason why the Germans did not get called for that handball was because, obviously, Germany, football power, United States, making a run, not, you know, starting to be a power and everything, especially in CONCACAF. That World Cup was probably the best run that I've ever seen our players have 
and to advance not just out of the group stage, but to go one more level past the second round. And yes, you get delusions of grandeur when it comes to that. But still, though, it's a situation where, as I've said, that was a great run in that World Cup in 2002. And he had nothing to be ashamed about, nothing at all. But once again, you know, when you think about that type of situation where our, our players, you know, could they have gone to the semifinals? And they probably could have. And then we would have faced South Korea again in the semifinal. And I don't know how that would have been. But one thing's for sure. I have always said we were a penalty kick away, an attempt on a penalty to at least level the match. It didn't happen. It should have happened. And, you know, unfortunately, that's how the ball, or shall we say, that's how the football bounces. But what are you going to do? That's how it was back then. Now we're basically in the discussions of at least trying to become a power within CONCACAF and hopefully one day in the whole world. So we'll see what happens moving forward. And hopefully um, it's going to be a lot of fun. And hopefully... We're going to see uh, this national team doing well. We're in a, still in the qualifying stage. And, of course, everything is going to get started, uh, restarted once again, end of January, one match in the beginning of February. And then we're all going to finish it up in March uh, for some fun in the sun. And it's going to be exciting really quick now, just to let everyone know before we uh, get ready to have a discussion about the playoffs the next two home games in the next window in January and February. So, obviously, the next home match will be on ESPN on January the 27th, which is a Thursday time to be determined. The United States will host El Salvador, and they're heading back to Columbus to take on El Salvador, and that will be on ESPN. All road games will be on CBS Sports Network, as well as their Paramount Plus app, as the United States are going to travel to Canada um, I think now that we know, because Canada's going to be on the road for these next two game, for these uh, two of the three games that they're playing, and the home game will be against us in the U.S., there were rumors going on around in Canada, including on One Soccer, their, their Canadian soccer TV channel, that uh, it sounds like Canada is going to host the United States in Toronto at BMO Field. And then that'll be on January the 30th on a Sunday. And then on Wednesday, February the 2nd at Allianz Field in Minnesota, in St. Paul, Minnesota, it will be the United States hosting Honduras. So it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun. And I cannot wait to get qualifying back underway when we get there. Time to talk about these MLS Cup playoffs right now. I haven't had him on for a while, and that's my fault. But you know what? Uh, For the first time now... Uh, since making the playoffs, we have New York City FC finally getting out of the opening round and advancing to the conference semis as they defeated Atlanta United two goals to nil. Michael Anderer, Blue City Radio, joining me. And, Michael, that had to be probably the biggest ovation at Yankee Stadium that New York City FC has ever had. Forget about the regular season, obviously. 
Uh, we all know about what goes on during the regular season, but to finally see New York City FC advancing out of that opening round for the first time ever, that had to be a miracle within itself. Yeah, it felt good. Uh, now, let's keep in mind, they, they, uh, they did beat Philly in the play-in game that one year. So they've had some success, but it's, uh, it's been very short-lived. So uh, it definitely felt good. This was uh, probably the, well, it's the largest crowd they had out uh, in Yankee Stadium all season long, and uh, the fans were, uh, were given a good show, uh, partially because NYCFC played well, but I think uh, a lot of people would also admit it, it was partially because Atlanta looked really, really poor. Yeah, I have to admit they did look a little poor. And you know what? I mean, look, Joseph Martinez, I, I, I think he still was hampered trying to recover from the torn ACL he had last year in the first game of the regular season last year. Um, and, you know, Atlanta United going through their uh, coaching difficulties, shall we say. Of course, with Gabriel Heinze uh, running the show until they made their coaching change. Um and I'll agree with you. I thought Atlanta. I think they, Atlanta had some moments, but they didn't weren't that strong on the, on that night. That night uh, on Sunday uh, Sunday evening. No, and I, I think a lot of people admit that uh, if NYCFC plays the first twenty minutes on uh, Tuesday, uh, the way they played against uh, Atlanta, it'll be um, it'll be a game that they'll be chasing for for a lot of it because I think New England's got the quality. Well, they'll put away the chances. Uh, NYCFC definitely look exposed in the uh, in that opening uh, uh, first half, but they they you know they were able to recapture uh, their uh, their form. Uh, the midfield uh, with um, with the loss of Keaton Parks and uh, Gideon Zalalem uh, still looked solid with uh, James Sands and uh, Alfredo Morales. So um, look, NYCFC fans are feeling probably the most confident they've ever felt uh, going into the next round of the playoffs. And I don't blame them because, you know, I have to say this. I thought that was a lucky goal within itself, the opening goal of the match in the second half in the 49th minute. I mean, look, we all know the quality of what Castellanos brings to New York City FC. Um, but even he'll admit, you know, you need sometimes a little bit of luck and, and, a, and a good bounce on the ball to get inside that net because even though Brad Guzan, he has his moments where he really fouls it up really badly – and Castellanos found a way to bounce that ball in. Yeah, you know, and it, it's not just about Guzan. You know, this this one, both goals really have to go on the entire uh, Atlanta defense for just quitting on the plays. Uh, you know, you, you're taught at such a young age to play to the whistle, and I, I can't understand why, uh, why. well, let's start from the beginning of that play. Why is the Golden Boot winner all by himself at the top of the six on a set piece? Uh, that that's just um, that's just Atlanta uh, turning off for for a play, but in both uh, in both cases, I think uh, the defense had a, had an opportunity to help out Guzan if they were pres- pressuring that ball. I think uh, you know you have Jesus Medina in an offside position uh, standing there, and I think if Medina feels a little pressure, he might do something that causes the referee to at least go and look at that and uh, and maybe call that one back. So uh, look, luck was definitely on their hands, but sometimes uh, we all know that. Uh, to win championships, you need a little bit of luck on your uh, on your side. So uh, I think NYCFC uh-huh. fans will gladly take this one. And I don't blame them at all. I don't blame them at all whatsoever. And to see them advancing to the next round, I know it's a great feeling. And, of course, Kalen's, uh four or five minutes later makes it 2-0. And it's just solid defense. And, 
It's Sean Johnson, you know, what can you say about Sean Johnson that hasn't been already said? He's done this before with Chicago. Uh, he's doing it with New York City FC, a rocking net, making some solid saves, uh, always stepping up to the plate uh, with some big moments for the club, and then they advance into the next round. So uh, what did Dahlia said uh, after the match, uh, you know, how proud he was of, of, for his team to go out there? and executing the game plan. No, he basically said that he, um, he had faith in, uh, in the guys that were on the field. I think the biggest thing that, that he was challenged on in the post-game press conference was his lack of substitutions. Uh, you know, you, you've got the game uh, in hand. You're up to nothing, but you're not making a substitution until the 80th minute. And a lot of people are saying, even just for the sake of, uh, you know, getting some fresh legs out there, you know, why don't you make a change? And then we also know that sometimes substitutions are used to, to burn 30, 40 seconds off a clock. Uh, and Dyla was, uh, you know, was honest in saying, look, you know, the team that was out there was doing a great job. I wasn't in, in any attempt. I wasn't going to make any uh, attempt to, to change it up for the sake of, uh, you know, getting somebody rest or getting somebody uh, minutes. It's uh, when I see guys play like his, his quote exactly, is exactly when I see guys playing like shit or when they're tired is when I take him out. So it, it definitely shows a lot of confidence. You know, you have a guy like uh, Tavon Gray, uh, Bronx native, playing in his first playoff game, and you could understand why he might have some, uh, some butterflies. But, uh, you know, Dyla had, had faith in him, left him in the whole game, and, uh, and the guy performed. Oh, yep, he really did. And that's really, I think, I, I know they've had at least um, one or two players that came out of the academy to give them an opportunity, even though I don't know if they actually took it or they felt that they weren't ready to make that move. And uh, that one kid, I think, what's his last name, who was uh, at the time on loan with Hartford Athletic uh, up um, the New England yeah, way, obviously. Hack. Yeah, Hack. Yeah, I mean, whatever happened to him, is he back with New York City FC or was he sold to another club? No, he's back, he's back with the club. He, he was on loan for, uh, for the uh, duration of the USL season and is now back with the, with the club. Uh, you know, again, he's a guy who, when you look at it, uh, that was one of the most crowded spots in NYCFC's roster. Uh, you already had Juan Pablo Torres, who was a former uh, U.S. Youth International. He was on loan. Uh, then you had a uh, – you also had, uh, you know, um, Keaton Parks, Nicholas Acevedo, James Sands, a homegrown player, James Sands. We all know what he's been doing with the U.S., and playing uh, his versatility. So there wasn't a lot of room for, for Hack. And, uh, you know, again, Keaton Parks is out with the uh, blood clot, so he's gone for the, for the rest of the, uh, the season. But for most oh, geez, of the year, terrible. he was – yeah, he was, he was in for um, – you know, he was up for probably team MVP with the, way, with the quality he was playing. And, unfortunately, he's the guy who has probably the most unique skill – on the um, on the team as far as his ability to dribble through the midfield, uh, NYCFC has a lot of guys who can pass and and have vision through the midfield. But Parks was the one guy he had the most progressive passing, um, uh, uh, I guess, in, measured in distance, the the most uh, feet in um, in all of, all of MLS for a good portion of the year. So, as far as uh, dribbling, you know, forward dribbling. So it's a it's a big loss. Uh, they made it through the first game. With uh, with James Sands filling in, and I think it's going to be a uh, it's going to be a trick. You know, look, uh, New England, we all know the quality New England's bringing to uh, to the field, so they're not going to be an easy team to beat. But I think uh, 
if NYCFC uh, keeps their momentum and plays smart, they'll, they'll give New England a run for their money. I, I think I, – I will say this. I, I think New York City – is definitely going to give the revolution a run for their money because, you know, you can definitely say that NYCFC is going to be playing with house money because I don't remember a time, well, maybe when the era was, when it was Steve Nichols' side, where, you know, Shalry Joseph, Taylor Twellman, um, Steve Ralston, and Matt Reese was in goal. I mean, you could have said, that New England Revolution team back in the day really threatened the Eastern Conference. I know they only won a U.S. Open Cup and at that time a Superliga, which I didn't like that much, that tournament. Still don't like it. Even this week's <laughs> cup, I'll admit I don't like it, but now it's, now it's going to be a real tournament now with the, with the Liga MX sides. But still, though, um, they – they went to, like, what, two, three MLS Cup finals, and they still couldn't do anything? With that, you know, what this team has done in the regular season um, in the Eastern Conference, you know, I, I mean, it's extraordinary. I never thought we would ever see 73 points with, you know, a team like that that, yeah, they're good, they're stacked, but I didn't think they were super stacked. And I never go against Bruce Arena at all, but even for me, I think Bruce was really probably more surprised and pleased with how that team really grew and became so dominant this season. Yeah, one of the things that I think about that Arena said last year was that uh, it's the teams that invest the most money that tend to be playing at the end of the season in the MLS Cup Final. Um, and that's going to be the, the thing that uh, I think we're going to watch out for. NYCFC is going into New England, uh, kind of like you said, with house money. They're going to be playing against a team that has a great offense, but they give up a lot of goals. So the question is going to be, which team has the better uh, d- defensive performance? And I think you have to give NYCFC the nod in this game uh, you know, look, I think New England has a lot more uh, offensive weapons, but uh, NYCFC clearly has the better defense. Obviously, uh, New England has the goalkeeper of the year in, in net, and he, uh, you know, he won the game for, uh, for New England when they played in Red Bull Arena. Uh, but uh, NYCFC has beat him, has beat him once in Yankee Stadium, and the other time when, uh, when NYCFC lost to, uh, to New England and Matt Turner and Gillette, they got a red card to uh, Alfredo Morales in the 53rd minute. So, and they only lost that game two to one. So there's a, yeah. there's a lot of things that say that uh, NYCFC going into, uh, into New England is not going to be, uh, not going to be playing scared. No, I don't think they are. And I think that's the right attitude to go into, but if I can ask you this question, because like you said about Dahlia in the game against Atlanta, he didn't feel like he had to make any subs. He wanted them to play and, let them go. I mean, basically, he let them empty the tank. I mean, that's what he really did. He let his starters go all the way across. But in this particular matchup, do you feel whoever makes the proper or whoever makes the first sub is going to win the game? Because not saying I don't trust the bench of NYCFC, but I feel that Buxa coming off the bench is going to be extremely dangerous for the revolution. Um, 
coming coming to uh, you know next this coming Tuesday after the weekend. I, I'm actually predicting Buchs to start. You know, when I looked at the 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 best lineup that um, that Arena had to put out, he played that lineup twice in October, uh, once versus DC, and I think the other game was versus uh, Colorado. Two two games that they won uh, down the stretch, uh, and uh, Gustavo Bo and Buchs were their uh, were their strikers. They played a four four two. You had Heal, uh, McNamara, Buchanan, and Polster in the middle in the middle. Uh, Arena's weakness is going to be his defense. Andrew Farrell is a, is a nice player, but he's a, again he's a he's a MLS journeyman, so he's no um, yeah. You know he's he's not a Walker Zimmerman. He's not a guy like an Aaron Long who's who's you know had sniffs at the at international play. Uh, he's a you know he's a good quality center back, but he's uh, he's getting old. And uh, to think that he's going to be the type of guy who's going to win you an MLS Cup, that's, uh, that's taking a big risk. So, um, you know, Kessler has been doing well, so there's a good balance there. But, uh, but I, I actually think Books is going to start. But I do agree with you. I think uh, Arena probably has – not only does he have more options to choose from, what he's shown is he's, he's shown a confidence to make those decisions. And like we saw with Dyla, Dyla will look at a game and say, well, look, we're, we're – we're tied, nothing, nothing, or we're, we're only trailing by one goal. If he thinks his team is is is, give, is creating opportunities, he's shown a, a, a stubbornness to not make, a, make not make a substitution. Now we'll have to see because of the, uh, you know, this is single elimination. Does he get a little bit more aggressive in his in his substitutions? But very rarely does he make a, a change before the 70th minute. Yeah, that's very true too. Any other predictions you'd like to make on this, Michael, or uh, you feel confident enough that this will be a road, a, the biggest road victory, <coughs> playoff road victory in the history of the club? No, it, oh, by by sure, by um, by by for sure it will be. The only prediction I will I will give you is that I think you're going to get a very healthy contingent of NYCFC fans up in Foxborough, even though it's a Tuesday night. Uh, it, you, I'm already hearing uh, some some healthy numbers uh, of people traveling up there. NYCFC already has a few buses scheduled, and I know there are people uh, you know driving themselves up. The only thing I want to you know throw out there that is very odd to me uh, mm-hmm. is the scheduling of MLS is scheduling MLS is scheduling because I'm trying to I figure know. out why you have New England playing on the 30th. But you have another, the other uh, the other game playing on the 28th. Why wasn't New England NYCFC scheduled for the weekend on the on the 28th? Uh, that means New England has got to go the the 23 days without playing, where they could have played a, a little bit sooner. Would that made so much I of know. a difference? I think I think I think I think. Yeah. No, you know, I agree I gonna, with you, Michael. I agree. I think MLS looked at the matchup, looked at the bra- looked at the brackets, and said that they thought that uh, that the the matchup was going to be NYCFC New England, and they said that's going to have a bigger draw. So let's put that game on a Tuesday because we know we're going to get the eyeballs, even if it's on a Tuesday. And they uh, they saved the sun the, the Saturday game for uh, for Philly and uh, and Nashville. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I this is what I'm saying. I, I really think all these playoff games should have been on the weekend. Two on a Saturday, two on a Sunday, 
And there you go. I, I mean, that's let's be honest with ourselves here. It'd be a lot easier if they just did it like that. Just put everything on the weekend like they have in the past. You know, it makes no sense to put it during, you know, on a Tuesday as a lone match by itself. It should have been, you know, eyes, better eyes would have had this game on the weekend than on the, during the weekday. Well, I mean, I hope they're right, but I really think they should have put this game uh, on the weekend like they normally should have done it at all, period. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens, and hopefully hopefully they're guessing right, and hopefully they get a good uh, good ratings uh, on the TV screen. So, we'll have to wait and see. But, Michael, thank you again. Hopefully I'll have you on next <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Hopefully I'll have you on next week, and uh, we'll talk about that match, okay? Dan, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Michael Andor, Blue City Radio on New York City FC, talking about that blue club uh, representing New York City. Anyway, and now we're going to move on uh, from last night. Nashville at home at Nissan Stadium as they defeat... Orlando City by final of three goals to one, but, you know, this Nashville team has been tremendous, tremendous ever since Gary Smith and company took over that club when they were in USL Championship, now in Major League Soccer, And this man knows how to win in MLS. This man knows how not just to win in MLS. He just knows how to win, period. He just knows how to win, period. And it's amazing to watch him go out with this club night in, night out to get the belief of those players and do the job that he is asking of them. It is a miracle. It is amazing. And what they have done in two seasons has been tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. I am so, so amazed what Nashville has done in their short tenure in MLS. And now... Next year, they're going to open up a brand-new soccer stadium at the, Nash- at the Tennessee Fairgrounds, at the Nashville Fairgrounds. Um, and it's going to get ready to go on the 1st of May of next year. And I really hope they do have a hell of a celebration to open up another Jewel Stadium in the league. I cannot wait to see that happen. It's going to be exciting. And... You know what else is exciting? Hany Mukhtar, the designated player who has come in to Nashville in last year's summer transfer window and then all of a sudden has exploded and delivering goals, assists galore. I mean, we're seeing him just pulling off goals right out of his rear end that never, ever did we ever think that Andy Mukhtar would ever come out of the blue and just go out and dominate the way he has. 
Now, we all know next year that um, Nashville is moving back to the Western Conference. They're going to be yo-yoing back and forth. Nashville is one of those cities where it can be an Eastern Conference team. It can be a Western Conference team. And now they're going back to the Western Conference. I don't know if they'll go back to the East, but we'll see what happens uh, once St. Louis City comes into the league. And, of course, next year, we all know Charlotte FC will come into the league. That goal to tie up the match against Orlando by Henny Mukhtar, how he dipped that ball past Galise was unbelievable. Just unbelievable how he was able to just chip it. It stayed in midair, and then it dipped when it did into the back of the net. It was just unbelievable. Um, And then that second goal he scored where he's cutting across his left and then he shoots the ball across the across his body and it goes inside the near post to make it 2-1. Uh, you don't have to worry about the stoppage time goal that made it 3-1 because the truth is the game was already going to be long gone anyway because um, I didn't think there was going to be enough time for Orlando to at least force an equalizer on Nashville. Um, like I said, I didn't think that was going to happen. So... I'm just saying Nashville is slowly but surely growing as a big-time club right now, doing wonderful things, especially in the playoffs, under Gary Smith. And Gary Smith has done an amazing job with this Nashville team, and they are a threat. They are a threat for the MLS Cup title. And the bigger question will be, you know, where are they going to finish up? Are they going to find a way to get to the MLS Cup final, depending on what the New England Revolution does against the New York City FC? Now, going to Orlando, we all know about Daryl DK. What a tank. What a truck. What, a, what an amazing player he has been. And for him to be in position for that snap header to get the opening goal of the match, yes, I think he is going to be going somewhere in Europe. I think he's got to get sold. I think he should be playing in Europe because he's going to be on a club where not only do they have to give him an opportunity, I don't know where he'll go. I don't know. Maybe he'll be made for the Premier League. Uh, Maybe he'll be made for the Bundesliga. I think the way he is playing, I don't know how super technical he is, and we'll try and get someone from, uh, who covers the club uh, in the Orlando area to talk about Daryl DK, but I will say this. It is just amazing to watch what Daryl DK can do and what he did during the Gold Cup this past summer is just a snippet of the potential he has to become a dominant player, not only in the club level, in the future for himself going abroad, but also for the national team. Yeah, I know he scored two goals against Martinique. Uh, Unfortunately, he injured himself in that game, and that kind of hampered his opportunity uh, for the rest of the way in the Gold Cup for Greg Berhalter. But you know what? That is a guy that I want to see on the national team, and I want to see Daryl DK being up top with Pulisic and Giovanni Reina 
and Weston McKenney and Tyler Adams and just go out there and dominate the way he is. Dominate the way he should. And it's just been an unbelievable thing to watch when you see a guy like Daryl DK when he has the ball or when he puts himself into position to receive the ball or make a play with the ball and put it into the back of the net. I mean, he's just unbelievable the way that he he has played, the way that he sets himself up and the way he uh, accepts the pass or the cross and he just finds a way to put the ball in the back of the net. He is unbelievable. Uh, I also want to see more of Chris Mueller Mueller going out there, of course, and being a part of this national team too. He's also the future. Um, You know, you got to see what's going to happen, obviously, uh, with some of these things going on. But once again, it's a situation for not just Orlando City to be strong, but hopefully for Daryl DK to be part of the national team on a full-time basis. But until then, for now, you're just going to have to wait and see what's going to happen. But going back to Nashville, um, the way that they have been basically on the ground and running and, and how solid they've been, and they haven't lost at home this year. It's either been a win or a draw. And all you can say is, they're under the tutelage of Gary Smith, and what he has done, is, like I said already, has been amazing, that you have a team that this strong and this solid, and they're doing a hell of a job, not only playing attacking football, but the defending very good as well. And having a guy like Joe Willis in your net as your starting goalkeeper, and of course he started as a backup to Bill Hamid, at DC United, and for him to get that starting goalkeeper nod and doing everything possible to keep that ball out of his net, he has been amazing, absolutely amazing. He's grown up. Obviously, he was also part of uh, Houston's um, run as well with that Open Cup title, I believe. But once again, you know, Joe Willis, just really, really doing his best, playing strong goal. And, you know, I'll say this right now. I'll say this right now. I would love to see a New England-Nashville Eastern Conference Final. I want to see that, a New England-Nashville Eastern Conference Final. And at times, I wish it was a two-leg series. I wish they would go back to the two-leg series. I wish they would go back to away goals. Because I think that would have been awesome. I think it would be an amazing opportunity. But it's not going to happen. They're going to keep the the one-and-done playoff series, uh, the one-and-done playoff game, and I just think that's going to be the end of it. And that's nothing much more you can say or do. But once again, it's a situation where you just have to go out and say that this was amazing. This was a lot of fun. And I'm just glad and happy that we got ourselves and we had ourselves some exciting games going on. 
and it's just been amazing to watch. And all you can do is just go out and have some fun and, you know, just just enjoy yourselves moving forward. So now we're going to move on to our next guest. And, of course, this man is uh, someone uh, I always go to on anything sporting Kansas City. Uh, And, of course, the home playoff match was held at Children's Mercy Park over in Kansas City, Kansas. The one and only Mike Kuhn from Blue Testament of SB Nation, as uh, he joins me right now to talk about uh, that big win. Uh, Cuny, it's great to have you back on. Um, You know, you can call me crazy if you want, but I think for the first time in a long time, and we all know how good of a manager Peter Vermees is and has been for this club. I don't think he'll ever leave it unless he's going to get sick and tired of being a, you know, doing double duty as sporting director and head coach. But do you feel he had a purpose to take on Vancouver and to shut them down? Because to me, it felt like someone insulted him and he wanted to shut them up. Well, I mean, technically, if you want to get on about that, they, in a way, they did. I mean, I don't know if you uh, remember when, uh, on the Saturday, when Vancouver clinched a playoff spot and were told that they, their uh, media guy told their coach on the uh, post, post-game Zoom call that, that they were going to play Sporting Kansas City, he immediately responded, no, we're going to beat Sporting Kansas City. So um, after, after the game... Uh, after the game uh, <laughs> against Vancouver, though, <laughs> Vermes, came, Vermes came out and basically said, oh, yeah, we, that, they, it, it makes my job easier when the coach says something that will get our guys fired up, basically. And so the, the, the comment by uh, – I'm going to – I would butcher Vancouver's uh, interim coach's name, although I like what he's done there, but um, he, he, Vermes – uh, basically said, oh yeah, that was definitely a motivation factor. I didn't. It, it, it helped get our guys going. Uh, and Shelton said the same thing after the game that they they took what he had said to, to heart basically and used it as a as a rallying point for the game. Yep, exactly. Because you know, as 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 interesting as it was, and the chutzpah it took. From the interim coach of Vancouver, my God, I said to myself, does he really want to disturb this hornet's nest? Does he really want to challenge Peter Vermees and Sporting Kansas City? Because, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if Sporting had a good year this year. I mean, I know they made the playoffs, but usually you, you want to, you know, show a little bit of respect, but, you know... If you want to wake up a sleeping giant, you go right ahead, mister. I'll be in the back I mean, just avoiding you. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I like what uh, 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 Sartini uh, has done with Vancouver. I mean, he had them playing extremely well uh, down the stretch. So, I mean, it, and Sporting coming in uh, to that game, uh, having lost three straight, including the uh, – including the heartbreaker on decision day with Salt Lake at home. I mean, there was, there was reason for Vancouver to feel confident coming into that game. Absolutely. But um, I mean, 
I don't want to say don't say things like that because that that's part of what just makes sports in general fun is is those types types of comments and the confidence that you'll have in your team to say something like that. But at the same time, you have to be prepared that when you when you say something like that, sometimes the it, it's going to come back to bite you. And in this case, it it came back to bite Vancouver. It really did, and uh, what a performance this was, especially in that opening half. Um, a lot of goals being scored. Uh, of course, the penalty for Vancouver leveled everything at one, but uh, that big second, that big, excuse me, that big first half stoppage time goal from, um, if I can pronounce his uh, name correctly here, I don't want to, you know. Thank you. Better you than me. Uh, <laughs> that was an amazing e- e- goal e- for him. Yeah, EEC for short is what uh, what uh, Ducati calls him on the broadcast. So, uh, uh, uh-huh. yeah, just go with EC. That's fine. That's fine. But that was a big goal for Sporting to get into that halftime into the locker room to regain that lead. And then uh, good old good old Graham Zuzzi. You can't go wrong with Graham, I'll tell you that much. 58th minute, making it 3-1. And then, you know, all it was just another defensive effort uh, for Kansas City to go out and to secure that uh, that big win uh, to advance into the next round. I, I got to tell you, uh, just very, very, very happy to see that happen. And, um, you know, once again, it's a situation where Peter Vermees, not a lot of work to be done here. Um, you know, he had confidence in his starting 11, only made one substitution to bring over Roger Espinoza off the bench late 87th minute, obviously, but still, though, it was already done and dusted after Zuzi's goal. No, yeah, it, it was. And, I mean, th- that's been the talking point for KC fans all season is Vermi's lack of substitutions throughout the year. Um, I actually – did something on the Blue Testament uh, after the finale. And, I mean, Vermes used less than half of his available subs this year. Um, no other team was even close. I think the next closest was uh, was Minnesota. He used something like 20 more subs over the course of the season than, than uh, Vermes did. So um, it, it, he, he has that habit. It was, in a sense, even though the game was in control, uh, I would have liked to have seen Polito come on uh, because he hasn't played in a couple months at this point. So having him come out and get, even if it's some garbage minutes and to waste a little bit of time and stoppage time, I, I felt it would have been nice to get him on the field. But, I mean, I can't argue when when you're winning games 3-1 to, um, to to not follow that strategy and when you know um, you're going to have – multiple days rest over uh over well salt lake in this instance but at the time over whoever you were going to play in the uh semifinal did you get a chance to watch on tuesday night salt lake at seattle and 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 how nervous are you i mean normally i wouldn't ask you that question because i i know how confident you are and what peter vermees does and how he gets his guys ready to go but to me, and you know, to see Real Salt Lake having that big match in Seattle, and for them to push it all the way to the penalty kick shootout, and to beat Seattle, 
in the shootout. Does this make you a little nervous for Sunday? Or do you feel this is just another run-of-the-mill, it's just another sporting Real Salt Lake matchup, and it's going to be on your home field? Well, first, I will say yes. I was one of the people that actually stayed up and watched that that entire game because I wanted to see who who uh, who we were going to play. But I mean, as for the game, I mean, Salt Lake is always a difficult game. At the same time, um, you, you talked earlier about, or we talked earlier about uh, Sartini and his comments after after the or before the ahead of the game against between Kansas City and Vancouver. Honestly, I think all that Vermes would have to do to really get the team motivated for this game would show them the uh, tape of decision day and the handball call that didn't go Kansas City's way against that the same Salt Lake team, basically. So in, in that case, I, I think the motivation is there for, for sporting to, to step out and say, hey, we should have won the last time we played you we're going to beat you this time. Um, so it, it's a, um, it, it's always going to be a, a uh, physical game with Salt Lake. I mean, even though Beckerman's gone, even though Espinoza's uh, coming to the end of his time with Kansas city, there still is that, uh, th- there still is that bit of hate between the two between the two teams and between the two sets of fans, basically, to uh, to have a go at each other whenever we're playing. So I think the motivation will be there, and I think the uh, I, I honestly I think either team is going to come in with with a level of confidence. Um, Salt Lake going in and doing something that uh, nobody's done in however long. 15 games is basically I mean Seattle had won 15 straight playoff games at home before Salt Lake technically got the draw last night and then won in the shootout so I mean they got to have tons of confidence in their defense and uh and in Ochoa and goal and they got they come in knowing that hey we went there three weeks ago and beat them 1-0 we can go and do it again meanwhile Kansas City at home coming off a confident win against Vancouver can say last game was, was a bit of a, what was a miss last game against them was a misstep. We missed our chances. We had decisions not go our way that should have, we're going to come out and we're going to prove to them that that game was a mistake. So I, I think both teams have reasons to be confident. I think uh, Kansas city can and should get the job done. Honestly. But let me ask you this, and normally I wouldn't throw this at you because it's not about doubting what Sporting Kansas City can do. I just think that this particular matchup, you could have the battle of the goalkeepers here. And I'm being serious here because we all know what Tamelia has done for Sporting. Tamelia is an excellent goalkeeper. He does well in during penalty kick shootouts. Maybe that's an edge on him. But David Ochoa has really been growing and growing as a starting goalkeeper through the Real Salt Lake system with Real Monarchs and USL. And now he's doing a job as their full-time starter uh, in the MLS level. Do you feel, if it comes down to like a big, big moment in this matchup, is it going to be a battle of the goalkeepers? I think so. I mean, you have... Um... 
I think especially with Ochoa, I mean, not to not to knock RSL in a sense, but I mean, they just went 120 minutes without a shot, um, a shot period, basically. I, I think if it comes down to a penalty kick shootout, my my money's going to be on Camellia every single time, um, simply because I've seen him do it over and over and over again, that I, I, I don't have a reason to question that Melia is arguably the best goalkeeper in league history when it comes to penalty kick shootouts. Um, but Ochoa is a very good goalkeeper. He's going to have, again, uh, designated players on attack coming at him, uh, this time with Russell and hopefully Polito in some form as well. So, I mean, he, he's going to be probably the busier of the two goalkeepers, I would guess, at this point. I don't think anybody would really argue that point, that they expect uh, Ochoa on the road to be the busier of the two goalkeepers. So, I mean, he has a, he has the chance to step up and, and add to a, a uh, growing uh, – villain legacy i guess if if you if you want to put it that way given uh, how some of the seattle fans were at the end of the game uh the other night so it, it'll be interesting to see but yeah absolutely there's a very good chance it becomes a, a battle between the two goalkeepers mm-hmm. yeah and i think that's the one big moment there i think uh it, it's going to be huge for sporting uh if they do advance and i agree with you if it gets to a penalty kick shootout my money's on Tim. And it's nothing against Ochoa, but I think we've seen in the past, whether it's in open cup play or even in the playoffs, he knows and he reads the penalty kick takers very well and makes those timely saves. Absolutely. I mean, he's I, – I don't have my stats pulled up, but I'm, I, I think when you count shootouts, he's saved something like 40 two to 45 percent of the penalty kicks he's faced which in in a situation where the goalkeeper is usually considered to be a very large underdog that's a very good percentage uh save percentage on penalty kicks in a shootout so i mean he's a he's a very yeah as you said he reads he, he reads shooters so well and is just so quick on his line that even if he doesn't get a good read, he, he can react and get to the ball in time. Yep. No, he really does. And I think that's the one advantage I think Sporting Kansas City is going to have um, against um, Real Salt Lake in, the, in this next round coming up. But other than that, um, how how'd you like uh, the playoffs so far? Uh, did you watch, besides the Salt Lake-Seattle match, did you watch any of the other games before watching the uh, Sporting Kansas City taking on uh, uh, Vancouver. Oh yeah, I've I've watched. Uh, I think I've watched at least a portion of all the games, pretty much. I I mean I've enjoyed them. Some have been less exciting than others. Um, no offense, but the Red Bull Philly game was a it's bit okay. of a drag. It's okay. Um, it's all right. For, for, all right. For a very long period of time. Well, well, I mean, I, I'm not I, like I said. I'm not bagging on you guys. It just was not a. It was not a fun game to watch. It was not not an it was not a great for either team. Not just not just the Red Bulls. Philly didn't look great in that game either. But I mean, no, I've I've enjoyed the playoffs. I always enjoy watching uh, watching soccer. I 
I'm less stressful when it has anything to when it doesn't have anything directly to do with my team. So, I mean, outside of the sporting game and the Salt Lake game, I was I would I had a great time enjoying the Nashville game last night against Orlando. That was good fun viewing basically. So, I no, I I love watching the playoffs. It's it's a great time. Uh-huh. All I can tell you is this, Kenny. Both Philly and the Red Bulls are basically, you know, team in the mirror. Because they do the same thing. They're both a pressing team, counter-pressing team, you know, hard defending team. It's always going to be a one-goal affair unless one side gets an advantage somewhere. They're always going to play that same pressing style, and it's a toss-up. So I understand. It didn't get too exciting until you got the extra time. And then, of course, uh, I'll, just, I'll just call him the, uh, the Norwegian Hammer. How's that? Well, I mean, well, that, that brings another point. I mean, the other thing with the playoffs, I mean, how many great goals have you had in the first round of the playoffs? You had uh, 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 Zuzi's, you had uh, uh, that goal, you had uh, Mukhtar last night with, with, a, with another really oh, good yeah. one, you had Blanco in the Portland game. I mean, there have been a lot of really good goals in the playoffs so far. So, no, I, I don't know how you can't not be enjoying the games unless your team is going unless your team's losing in the game you're watching basically exactly exactly and uh i will say this uh, that Hany mukhtar goal the first one was amazing how i don't know how he didn't bomb that over the over the the bar i mean that stayed mid-air until it dipped into the net that was amazing that well, was just it, amazing it took, to watch. A, it took a it took that one took a big deflection um off the defender uh, after he hit it, that one took a decent yeah. deflection. That's why I think Galese got wrong-footed on it. But no, it was he. He played very well. Um, he, he's he's taken uh, Nashville on his back. He's he's playing very well. And yeah, that was a really nice goal the other night. Yeah, it really was. And uh, we'll see what happens moving forward. But um, I th- look, we've already covered the the, uh, the next game and. Hopefully, let's see what Sporting Kansas City can do, and uh, it's just another challenge for Peter Vermees to try to knock it down, and we'll see what happens. So, CUNY, I'll talk to you next time. Thank you very much, and you have a good night. Sounds good. Talk to you later, Daniel. All right, talk to you later. Mike Kuhn from the Blue Testament of SB Nation, as, of course, he follows Sporting Kansas City and everything else going on. So it's a lot of fun, and it's uh, it's enjoyable to have uh, – uh, Mike Kuhn joining me today, and uh, it, it's really, really great to have him back on the show. But uh, as we move forward now to the next one, um, Portland Timbers. Excuse me, not that one. I My apologies. Actually, I wanted to get to um, Seattle, Real Salt Lake, and, you know, just amazing to see what Brian Schmetzer has done with the Sounders. And I know they lost in the sixth round of the penalty kick shootout. I I know that they have uh, really been um, a really, really tough side at home. They find a way to go out and dominate you all over the pitch especially at home at Lumen Field. It is just amazing to see what they are capable of doing, what they are able to do. 
as they go out and find a way. They go out and find a way to beat you at home. And for them to get stopped and stumped by Real Salt Lake was unbelievable. And even though it looked like Stephen Fry made that big PK save on Real Salt Lake, it was basically you know, taken away because Fry jumped off his line early before the penalty was taken. Even though it was a poor penalty being taken, thank the lucky stars that Fry jumped off the goal line before he shot it. And it had to be retaken. Had to be retaken. So nothing much more you can do there. But once again, great penalty kick shootout. David Ochoa making that big save in the sixth round. And then Salt Lake buries their chance to advance and knocks off a damn good home side in the Seattle Sounders. And uh, they are one and done in the opening round of the playoffs. So... It's just been really interesting to watch what happened between these two sides. And Seattle, obviously, up and down the field, taking shots, ripping shots. And this is where, this is where I talk about David Ochoa, how you would like to think he was going to be the next generation of starting goalkeepers for the U.S. men's national team. And unfortunately, he decided to, you know, commit his international um, playing time with Mexico as he made the one-time switch. Even though he was a part of the U.S. youth system and he was in the Olympic tournament, to try and go over the hump and make it to the the senior men's national team. And for him to easily be feeling insulted or snubbed because the friendly after uh, the Nations League final was at Rio Tinto and he didn't play in that friendly at Salt Lake, didn't get a half, didn't get any minutes, and he decided to run away to play for Mexico. I'm sorry. I, I, I just feel that that was just being immature. And even though he got victory out of it, I, I still feel that he's been acting a bit immature with this whole situation. I'm not saying he can't celebrate. I'm not saying he can't do this. He can't do that. All I'm saying is, in my personal experience, I think he went a bit overboard, and I think that was the wrong thing to do. It was the wrong thing to go overboard. You won. Congratulations. Celebrate with your guys. Don't start any trouble. Walk off and just act like you've done it before. But Pablo Mastroeni getting a second chance at being a, a manager and doing it with Real Salt Lake was huge. Maybe he learned from his original time running the Colorado Rapids. Good for him. Good for Pablo. You know, I always liked Pablo Mastroeni when he was a player and as a person. I've always liked him. I've always felt that, you know, he's got the right temperament to be a head coach. 
I think he learned from uh, his past experience, or at least what he did uh, before he was let go by the Rapids. But once again, it's a situation where Pablo Mastroeni may be getting it right now. He could be getting things right. We'll have to wait and see. And what's going to happen, and will he remain there? You know, I would say Real Salt Lake is the club that gives, you know, past head coaches that just got started their second chance at life. They did it with Mike Petke. Now they're doing it with Pablo Mastroeni. And good for them. Good for them. And we'll see, you know, and good for him as well. So we'll see what happens down the road. But once again, it's been very, very interesting to watch what happens in that matchup. And not to register a shot on goal or a shot. was It's just mind-boggling how you're able to win and force it to go into not just extra time, but into the penalty kick shootout. It's just amazing to see. And, you know, Schmetzer... To see him be, you know, to see him get defeated like that. And there's no shame in losing in a penalty kick shootout, to be honest. There's no shame in that. But I've always respected Schmetzer. I've always respected him as a good, hard-nosed, hard-thinking manager. When the Sounders were in the United Soccer Leagues or, you know, back in the A-League, when it became part of USL, and now, you know, he was the assistant coach to Ziggy Schmid running the Sounders at that time. And then he took it over. I guess it made him into a better uh, manager, even though I've always trusted. I, not, I'm not a Sounders supporter, obviously, but I've always respected the man, what he has done in Seattle before MLS, now in MLS, running the club after Ziggy Schmid uh, was no longer a part of MLS or went to the Galaxy, back to the Galaxy after his time in Seattle. You know, Schmetzer, I, I've always liked his, uh, you know, how he would prepare his club uh, to get ready for battle. I've always enjoyed watching. I've always said, this guy could be one day, I'm not saying he will be, I'm not saying Sounders fans that Schmetzer should be our head coach for the national team, but one day, if that opportunity goes towards him, I wouldn't mind it. But then again, if he wants that job, he needs to you know, step up and say, I want the job. If he does want it. Like I said, I'm not saying he does, but if he does want it, I think it would be a great asset to have a man like Schmetzer being the next head coach of the U.S. men's national team. But then again, we don't know if it will ever happen. I don't think it will but what I'm saying is, is that I would not mind it if you have another solid soccer brain who motivates their players a strong way than you know, other managers in MLS. <clears throat> I wouldn't mind having him. I think it would be a great fit. But that's just my opinion. Just my opinion. I'm not saying this as a certainty or as a guarantee because I truly believe that there are probably other head coaches out there in MLS or even below MLS that could do the job 
as the manager of the U.S. men's national team. But they would want to have the job. And, you know, if you want to ask me, well, who do you think below MLS should do it? Well, there are two managers right now that I think could become the U.S. men's national team head coach if they were given a fair shot. And one of them, of course, is Bob Lilly, who is right now running the Pittsburgh Riverhounds in USL Championship. Uh, To me, that's an opportunity right there if if he wants it, which I don't think he will. But then again, I don't think you're going to see uh, uh, a head coach in the second division getting the opportunity at the top job of U.S. soccer. Another one that I've always been confident on, and I've seen him at least a couple of times, especially against the Red Bulls in the Open Cup when uh, the Harrisburg City Islanders were around in the professional levels of uh, American soccer, which then became Penn FC, uh, was uh, Bill Betcher. Uh, and Bill Betcher, uh, local in Harrisburg, uh, you know, the, his demeanor, uh, the tactics he employs uh, for the, you know, at the time when Harrisburg had their club, the capital city of Pennsylvania had their club, um, I felt that if there was no Major League Soccer and you're looking for a head coach to run the national team, well then, I would have picked Bill Betcher. And like I said, I'm not saying this because I, I'm trying to sound so smart. I'm saying it because I've seen it with my own eyes, and I think, you know, if he had an opportunity in MLS, I think he would have ran away with it. But obviously, he's remaining in Harrisburg, and he, I understand he's doing uh, youth clubs and helping out the, uh, the kids in the Harrisburg area for soccer. So good for him. And hopefully, maybe one day, I'll interview him and, you know, have him discuss about, you know, his time running Harrisburg City Islanders. So we'll have to wait and see. But once again, it's just a situation where I believe that if there was no MLS, those are the two men, I think, that would run the national team. But, you know, finishing off on this playoff match between the Sounders and Real Salt Lake, (coughs) excuse me. Um, once again, it's a situation where I believe a good, a great run with the Sounders. I don't think it's over with, but Schmetzer did a great job. Mastroeni did a great job. It's just amazing how it went all the way from regulation and extra time, no goals, nothing, and then you get to penalty kicks. And that one moment ends it for the home side. And Salt Lake advances to the next round of the MLS Cup playoffs. And then, of course, the next uh, matchup we're going to talk about, Portland Timbers hosting Minnesota United FC. And let me say this. Let me say this. Portland Timbers, always dangerous at Providence Park. Always dangerous at home. No matter what, you cannot assume they are dead and buried when the visitors convert a goal. They play hard, they play strong, and they do the job, and they go out there, and they're just amazing to watch. Early goal, of course, from Minnesota in the 11th minute from uh, Fragapane to make it 1-0. But then again, it's Mayalba. Mabiala, excuse me, 
who leveled the match in the 43rd, and then it was all Sebastian Blanco with two goals in the 47th minute and the 66th minute, and Portland Timbers advance to the next round as they defeat Minnesota United by a final of three goals to one. You know, Giovanni Savarese never, ever doubted him as a manager. Loved Gio. He manages like he plays. And I remember him. The first legend of the New York Red Bulls when they were the Metro Stars. This is why I talk about Giovanni Savarese with so much love because he was always at the right place at the right time to convert those goals. He always found the right spot inside the 18, maybe even inside the 6, where he's able to put the ball in the back of the net. No one will ever forget the bicycle kick goal he scored against, against then club, which is now defunct, obviously. It's been defunct for a long, long time. The Tampa Bay Mutiny. The bicycle kick goal that he scored to force the, uh, the running shootout back in the day, which gave the Metro Stars the win. But once again, once again, this is the situation where you have a guy like Giovanni Savarese who has done it all in American soccer, the Venezuelan super scoring machine who has poured everything, everything, all of his heart and soul to be one of the best players in the New York City area and then, of course, going on managing the New York Cosmos in the remake of the NASL and playing in the NESL, getting NESL scoring titles. The man has done so much. It's just amazing to watch him play. It's just been amazing to watch him perform and to watch him manage. He has done a lot of great things. A one win, one loss against the New York Red Bulls, in the U.S. Open Cup. Two victories over New York City FC in the Open Cup. <clears throat> a club that has always shown to be a threat at that time. And moving forward. This is why you have a great manager, a great man that shows heart and passion. When you have a guy like that running a club that also has the same type of players that he does. There will always be tacticians. There will always be taskmasters. But a guy like Giovanni Savarese with the emotion along with that gives you the added oomph into the situation <laughs> Excuse me. Moving forward and finding a way to get the job done. 
to get the points that are needed to advance. And once again, it's just, that's what it is. That's how it's always been. That's how it will always be. It's just fantastic to watch. It really is. It really is fantastic to watch. I just have amazing uh, respect for him, not just as a player back in the day when this league got started, but also, also as a head coach of a club side. So all you can do, really, is just marvel at what he has done to be that good and that strong and everything. The players they bring over is unbelievable. The players that they talk to and they, you know, have a conversation with has been just unbelievable. Unbelievable. And that's all you can really say or do. So we'll have to wait and see what the situation will be. Uh, for Portland, we all know who they're going to be facing, the Colorado Rapids. And this is going to be a big test for Portland. It's going to be over at Dick's Sporting Goods Park in uh, Commerce City, Colorado. And once again, it's a situation where, let's be honest with ourselves here, this is a situation where you're going against a guy in Robin Frazier who has been that good, that solid, that, that technically savvy as the manager of the Rapids. He has done many wonderful things, not just as a player, but you know all the times he's been an assistant coach in MLS, and he finally gets his first real head coaching job with Colorado. You don't assume you got yourself a winner. You feel confident and you have a positive attitude that you do have a winner in Robin Frazier as a head coach. Like what Schmetzer has done for Seattle, what Bruce Arena has done all his years in MLS and the U.S. men's national team. This is a guy you have that will take advantage of his situation when given the opportunity, and he runs with it, and he has been running with it. He has been unbelievable for the Rapids. I have to tell you, I've never doubted the man. I've always felt confident that one day he's going to be running a, a club side. Hell, I would even go as far and say maybe somewhere down the road he might be also the men's national team head coach. But we're going to have to wait and see if he wants the job or not. Because as of right now, he's doing very well in Colorado. He's doing very, very well in Colorado right now. So there's no need for him to leave that job. So all I can tell you is this. Colorado Rapids, you got yourself a man. 
Colorado Rapids fans, you got a manager that's going to be doing a hell of a job right now. And who knows? Maybe he'll sneak into the MLS Cup final. Maybe he's going to be the one to go out there and do a job. And a damn good job he's going to be doing. And so far he's been doing it. He's been doing it. Good for him. Because I'm telling you right now, Robin Frazier is going to really do something special here. And we'll see what happens if he gets his tactics right against Portland. So it's going to be interesting to watch and interesting to see how everything's going to happen there with the Colorado Rapids. But Portland Timbers, once again, on a final score, defeating Minnesota United FC by a final of three goals to one. (coughs) Excuse me. And now, my side of things with the New York Red Bulls as they fall once again to the Philadelphia Union in the playoffs for the second time in three years by a final of a goal to nil in extra time. Yes, the Red Bulls-Philadelphia Union match was not that exciting in the regulation time. Not exciting in extra time. But once again, these are two sides that are mirror images of each other. These are two sides that are doing magical things against each other, and it's always going to be down to a goal and who's going to take the spoils. First, I want to talk about the goal scored by Jakob Glesnes. The Norwegian hammer does it again. And let me just say this. I wasn't expecting him to convert the way he did. I was not expecting him to convert that chance the way he did. Every time you see Jakob Glesnes score from distance, it has always been on a set piece. He takes a couple of steps back, running start, bam, boom, in the back of the net, a Norwegian screamer. What he did and I think this is more of a difficulty than taking it during as a set piece when the ball is still on the, on, on the pitch. He is going east-west. Well, I guess you want to say he's going north-south and not east-west here. He's going north-south. He's coming from the northern end of the stadium. And when he gets to the ball, still rolling, still bouncing, but like I said, he's going north-south. Somehow, he just turns his ankle, his right foot, turns it, and just found a way to dip it past Carlos Coronel. 
And that's why that goal was really something special because I wasn't expecting him to score it like that. I wasn't expecting him to put the ball in the back of the net the way he did. Got it to dip. Just beat Cornell. It had to be another one of those Hail Mary moments that beats the Red Bulls to advance into the next round because that match was destined for penalties. I thought during regulation that the Red, uh, I should say the Union had the majority of the play. Coronel made some solid saves. The defense came up big. Not a lot of offense for the Red Bulls. I'm still questioning handball on Philly because I probably would have been one of those saying, I don't know if that's a legitimate handball call or not. But when you keep seeing people showing on social media, especially on Twitter, the video where I don't remember who was the one that actually handled it, but what you saw, what I saw, and if it's just, you know, eyes playing tricks on me, fine. I saw two players separately handling the ball. Maybe the second one was more accidental, so I'll excuse that one. But I saw on replay where a player for the union stuck his arm out, not in a straight arm, but he bends his arm where where the ball hits his elbow. And his arm is away from him in an unnatural position. And to me, that felt more like a handball. I could be wrong, and if I am wrong, so be it. But to me, that looked like a handball. With the right arm extended, elbow bent, knocked the ball down. Off the elbow. VAR reviewed it and said no play on. So I don't know. I don't know. But the truth is, to me, that looked more like a handball and intentionally. But... Like I said, I don't know. I'm going to leave it alone. Outside of that, not much going on until extra time. Patrick Lamala subs in, and Patrick Lamala had two chances. He flubbed the first one, but the second one got it on frame, and it was a solid save by Andre Blake. Other than that, I was expecting penalties. I was really, really expecting a penalty kick shootout, and unfortunately it did not happen. And it's a hard, it's a hard, hard done loss on the Red Bulls, who had an amazing season. And all you can say about that is this. It's a successful season because... No one expected them to be in the playoffs. Everyone felt they were not going to make the playoffs this year. And I'll be honest, when the season started, I said to myself, I have no prediction. 
because I don't I didn't know what we're going to get. They had some strong wins at home. They've had moments on the road where they weren't doing so good. And then the injuries happened. And then they kept on taking leads and dropping those leads. And then the unbeaten streak happened. And they switched on. And they did enough to get into the playoffs. They did enough to get the necessary points. And even though they could not go past the Union, still, it is a successful season for this Red Bulls team. It all depends about some of these players who are on loan from other clubs. Will they remain with the Red Bulls? Will the Red Bulls purchase their, their contracts? Um, I think Patrick Lamala has done a good job. I think he needs more work. More work needs to be done with him to go out and uh, improve, improve his play. But other than that, it's a successful season. I think some questions were answered. I still think there are still some questions that need to be answered. But I would say a good 65-70% of those questions being answered, they are. And uh, for the Red Bulls, it's another uh, wait till next year. And maybe it'll be a little bit better for next year. For the Philadelphia Union, they're going to take on Nashville SC. And uh, for them, it's going to be a big test and a big challenge. So we'll have to wait and see what's going to happen with that one. They're going to travel Nashville to take on the Philadelphia Union. And it should be fun. It should be fun and exciting. Cannot wait to see what's going to happen. But once again, it wasn't a great match. But it was one great goal that ended the whole thing. And for the Red Bulls, we'll have to wait and see what they're going to do during the offseason once the uh, playoffs are over and done with. So that's all we can do and that's all we can talk about and we'll see moving forward. Some rumors going around that some people believe that Gerhard Struber will not uh, uh, remain with the Red Bulls, that he might go elsewhere. Uh, we had a conversation with Kevin Selwell, the New York media. And um, <clears throat> he has said that Gerhard Struber is going to stay. He likes being here. I don't know what's going to happen. We'll find out. We'll find out and wait and see what happens. But as of right now, it's just one of those things where it's just one of those things that um, is, you know, once again, silly season's coming around early. And all you can do is just Take it with a grain of salt and wait for the official news to come. 
So we'll have to wait and see on that one. Other than that, <clears throat> playoffs are uh, over and done with right now for this opening round. Get ready for the conference semifinals. And here's the schedule for the conference semifinals starting tomorrow on Thursday, Thanksgiving, Thursday afternoon as the Colorado Rapids host the Portland Timbers at Dick's Sporting Goods Park, which will be seen on <coughs> excuse me, on Fox and also Spanish-language Fox Deportes, 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 2.30 p.m. Mountain. <clears throat> on Sunday, November the 28th, <clears throat> excuse me, Kansas City, excuse me, Sporting Kansas City will be hosting Real Salt Lake, 3 o'clock Eastern, one, uh, one, 2 o'clock Central. And that will be at Children's Mercy Park. They'll be on ABC and on ESPN Deportes. And then at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 4.30 p.m. Central, it will be the Philadelphia Union hosting Nashville SC. And that will be at Subaru Park. That will be seen on ESPN as well as ESPN Deportes. And then on Tuesday, November 30th, New England Revolution hosting the New York City FC at Gillette Stadium. And that will be seen on Fox Sports 1 and Spanish language on Fox Deportes. And then uh, the conference finals will be on the weekend of Saturday, December the 4th, and Sunday, December the 5th. And then, of course, on Saturday, December the 11th, will be the MLS Cup final, and we'll see where that will be played. Uh, And that will be seen on ABC as well as Unimas. Um, So there you have it. First round of the MLS Cup playoffs are in the books. Time for the conference semifinal games and then the conference finals later on. So I want to thank my guests tonight, Michael Anderer of, New- of uh, Blue City Radio covering New York City FC and <clears throat> Mike Kuhn from the Blue Testament of SB Nation covering Sporting Kansas City. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. I'll talk to you guys on Monday and next Wednesday to review the conference semifinal matches. Thank you for listening to me tonight. Take care. So long. Bye-bye for now. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Have a good night. Take care. So long. And bye-bye for now, everybody. Have a good night.